The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. How can banks stop the planet from frying? Tune into my chat with UBS Chief Executive Ralph Hamers to find out. Welcome to the road to COP26, our exchange podcast series ahead of the mega climate conference taking place in Glasgow next month. I'm Rob Cox, the global editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters News, and I'm coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. This week, I traveled all the way down to Bahnhofstrasse here in the Swiss financial capital to speak to Ralph Hamers. Ralph is the CEO of UBS, the biggest bank in Switzerland, and one of the kings of asset management around the globe. I wanted to hear Ralph's views on what banks like his could and should and will do as a part of the effort to reduce global warming. Like most big banks, UBS has signed up to GFANS. That's the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, chaired by Mark Carney, UN Special Envoy on Climate Action and Finance. It brings together over 160 firms responsible for assets in excess of $70 trillion from the finance industry to accelerate the transition to net zero emissions by 2050 at the latest. Ralph, who is Dutch, is relatively new to the job, having arrived last year from ING. As he explains it, though, there are a number of ways UBS, like other banks, can play a role. In the first instance, the bank can limit travel, say, or upgrade the heating systems in its offices and branches to become even more energy efficient. But the big oomph comes from the way it deploys capital, not just the money on its balance sheet, but the trillions of dollars it manages for folks around the world. And to hear Ralph tell it, UBS clients are super keen to make sure their money is being put to good use. Good as in good for the planet, as well as making killer returns, of course. Give a listen to my chat with Ralph Hamers. Good to see you, Ralph. I'm really curious to hear how you're viewing the run-up to the COP26. I know that you, since becoming CEO of UBS, you've, you've made purpose and ESG a, a centerpiece of, of what you're trying to do and kind of inculcate a culture of that inside the bank. But it's just sort of stepping back a bit, like, like how do banks play a role? I mean, if you look at this question about net zero, you look at this idea about trying to keep global warming to one and a half degrees, where do banks play a role here? Well, that's a very broad question. Uh, Just to start, I think that every company needs a purpose, and that's why it was also the first thing for me to do here. And again, you know, this is not something that I wrote behind my desk. It is something that really came out of this organization. We tested this. More than 3,000 people gave their contribution. And in the end, what we agreed that our purpose is to reimagining the power of investing, connecting people for a better world. And I think it says everything as to what we can do being the global wealth manager. The latest survey that we had from our clients here is that 90% of our wealthy clients want their investment portfolio to be aligned with their values. And everything that we're discussing today here is reflective of that. So if you then start talking about values uh, and what do you mean with that, they quickly come to the SDGs, they've quickly come to climate. Mm. And that's also why we, a year ago, already made the sustainable investments as the preferred investment category for UBS and for our wealthy clients. Just as a reaction to that research, right? And also as a first step in the direction of our purpose. And we see at this moment in, in our asset manager, 129 billion of sustainable related investment funds already. 
So it's a fast-growing investment category. That's how banks, as well as asset managers or wealth managers, can contribute to organizing the capital that needs to go to the investment propositions. And, and that's basically what our role is. Now, from a net zero perspective, there's a couple of elements. The first one is for us, for a company like ourselves, is what do we do ourselves, right? So you have your net zero in terms of our own footprint. So that's like, yeah? do you use renewable energy? How do you heat your offices? What are your travel budgets? That exactly. Kind of what so, have you, so what have you done? No, there? exactly. Yeah. So you have scope one, scope two, as we yeah. call that, right? So we're already 100% on renewable energy. We are uh, looking at further taking out uh, our heating systems and, and see whether we can replace them also with renewable energy or more kind of electricity. We have pledged to reduce our energy consumption by 15% from 2020 to 25 on top of all of this. So there's a lot happening here in this uh, space for ourselves. But then again, we should realize that banks, investors, I mean, the biggest impact that we can have is not through what we do ourselves, because what we do ourselves is, you know, we sit in buildings and, and, and we use computers. But what we really can impact is how do our clients or the companies that we invest in comply or come out with a credible net zero statement and a strategy around that. Well, that's, that's, that's what we can your, do. It's that's your what balance sheet. It's, exactly. your, it's, the, it's the assets that you manage for clients. And I think that's really, let, let's think about it. So think about from the balance sheet or let's say advisory perspective, because of course you don't owe, it's not just about mm-hmm. lending, it's about yeah. helping companies. Are there, have you shifted or are you shifting the way you allocate capital to, let's say hydrocarbons, per, you know, oil companies, energy companies? What, like what is your guidance on that? Yeah, so there's two, <coughs> we play two roles, right? We are also a bank, and so we're also financing um, high carbon intensive industries. But that's very limited for us, let's face it. And we have reduced that part of our assets, our banking assets, from 2.8% to 1.9% of the total balance sheet. Uh, so it's, it's, it's like 5 billion-ish. It's a very small number. And on top of that, we have said, well, if it comes to, for example, utility companies that we finance, we have further decreased their revenue dependence on coal-fired power, right, from 30% to 20%. And the next step will be 10%, and the next step may be 0%, right? So it's, 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 we take them along, and it should be positive, and it should be migration and transition. Now, on the asset management side, it's exactly what we do as well. So we do want our the, the, the companies in which we invest, to have credible transition path. So we take it from the positive in terms of that we feel that what the world is com- uh, currently doing is the starting point, and we expect all of our companies to have a plan around, for example, climate, if that's the discussion uh, to be had here, to come out with a, a, a plan like that as to how they will decrease their carbon footprint, how they will report on it, how they will measure it, and how they will govern it, this as well. And those are the three areas that we as an asset manager, as an investor, So it's basically uh, an engagement. Find important. You, 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 you exactly. decided you're in the asset management side that you were going to take an engagement approach. How long does that last, though? I mean, it's, I mean, I just sort of, you know, I, I talk to people about engagement, and at some point, engagement becomes either marriage or divorce or something, right? How much time do you guys well, give Well, there is a couple of things that I feel also to be fair to all the players in the world, we still need to sort. And, and for, for one, 
uh, it is what do we actually mean with sustainability, right? Sustainability means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And yet we have 17 SDGs. And what people quickly kind of come back on and say, well, it's all about climate change. But climate change is only one SDG. And these are right? sustainable development goals, exactly. right? That the, the, the UN exactly. has put forward, Exactly. Right? The climate change is only one, right? I mean, there is also life underwater. There is partnership for the, for the goals. There is, it's about education. It's yeah. about fighting poverty. But there's, there's many SDGs here. And therefore, from an asset management perspective, if you manage funds and if you kind of decide as to your investments in specific companies, clearly they have to show where they are on some of these SDGs. But you can't just say, well, they only need to kind of comply with the climate SDG or they need to have a plan for the climate SDG, for example. So, that, so that's one. But then coming to the climate SDG and whether you know you want to decrease your investment in high carbon uh, related industries, I think the most important thing here is how do we make sure that we have global standards as to the definition of what it is and how we measure that as well. And once you have that, so that's why it's important to kind of uh, come to agreement on TCFD. Uh, that's why it's important to come to agreement around uh, regulatory fr uh, 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 frameworks as to what, what regulators or markets see as a standard and that standard is evolving. So if you, if you have the focus, if you then have the measurement and the agreed framework and taxonomy, then I think you can actually be more than engaged because then you can actually agree and if not complying, you exit, right? Right. And I think that's also what I find is really important for this COP that is to come here. I think we are at a whole all-time high in terms of awareness. So everybody is aware about we need to work on this, whether it's the societies, whether it is the the governments, whether it is the markets, whether it is the companies themselves, we all agree we need to move. So I think for the COP, that is a good starting point. But what I think the COP can actually deliver now is how do we go from these many net zero statements that people and, and, and companies have come out with, which on one side is a, is a good thing to come out with, but on the other side, hey, if this is a net zero statement for 2050, when will you actually start working on it, right? So is it you, is it your successor, is it successor of your successor? And therefore, uh, the net zero statements have to come with have concrete have measurable, plans. Like exactly, concrete plans, yeah. measurable progress, and intermediary goals. Because otherwise, nothing's going to happen. And I think that's one of the things that I think the COP should really discuss and, and maybe also ag ag agree to as to the net zero statements should not be empty. Let me put it that way. They should not be a marketing outing. No, it's really they easy for you to say, or any of us to say, on 2050, exactly. we're going to get there. But if, exactly. if in the next three years, your compensation exactly. or my compensation or, or, or is not judged by our ability to hit intermediate targets, exactly. then what's the point of it? Exactly. And I think what the COP can do on this one is that, as I said, you know, we're all aware uh, the financing industry is ready. The markets are ready. So you have all of that happening. There's a lot of innovation happening in these industries in order to further decrease footprint, whether it is uh, in the power uh, generation, whether it's in, in, in automotive, uh, whether it is in housing and how you further insulate uh, and retrofit housing and all that. There's a lot happening there. But what needs to happen is how do you bring it all together? Mm. And how do you make it, uh, how, basically, how do you make the rubber hit the road? 
right? That is the point that this cop should discuss because all of the other conditions have been fulfilled. And maybe the last one here, and those are parties that, are, that I think have been a little bit quiet, but it's okay because now the conditions are really good for them to, to step in, is the public-private financing. So the World Bank, what's their role in this, right? So can they step up here as well? Because quite some money needs to go into this. 3.5 trillion a year needs to go into this, right? Markets are ready, banks are ready, but some of this is more risky stuff. Mm. Uh, some of this needs to have a financing layer that other financings and, and, and other players can so like, rely on. So like a first right? loss type exactly. absorber exactly. so that then that could bring in the additional private capital exactly. that will get us to those numbers. Exactly. So I think that we're maybe previous COPs were about, okay, guys, this is a serious issue. How do we go about that? This one is, now let's be concrete. Yeah. yeah. And, and for that, you need the standards. For that, you need the parties to agree. And, and for that, you need to make uh, the commitments more concrete. So will you, will you be going to Scotland? I'm figuring it out. As I said, you know, uh, on the back of, of the, the lockdowns, I first decided not to go because I, th I thought that, you know, most people were going to engage virtually. I hear more and more people are now going. If if I feel it increases the effectiveness of the of of the session, I will go. And otherwise, we should just maybe also be climate aware and not fly. Or we could all bicycle across <laughs> exactly. somehow. But uh, <laughs> exactly. no, that's true. Um, what, so how do you see, how do you judge some of these initiatives that have been in, you know that have been formed in advance of this? I mean, you guys joined the Mark Carney's GFANS initiative. What realistically could these groups do? or agree to at or before COP that would help this get on the road that, uh, that you're suggesting? Yeah, so I, I think that most of the players that will be there from the finance perspective, but also many, many of the industry players have one way or the other come out with a net zero statement, right? So that that's one. So again, here the conditions are there. I think all of the players want some kind of a standard around reporting and how you qualify some of this, TCFD uh, and what have you. I think most of us want some kind of an agreement on carbon pricing. And I actually think it's going to be really difficult to get to that agreement this time around already. But some kind of a discussion starter as to how can we get to carbon pricing globally, I think would be really, really important. And therefore, I think the players that will be there and, and from the financing industry, having come out with net zero statements, being part of the banking for impact movements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're all there to engage around these kind of subjects and see whether whether we can get to a breakthrough. And, and I think the, the, the merits of, of these kind of COPs is generally that people when this is the discussion that you're having for like a week or two weeks, that you get more and more into it, you take it even more seriously, and you dare to go just a little bit further in some of the agreements. And I think that's the merit of these kind of sessions, uh, because you feel your own pressure, you feel a bit of peer pressure. And I think that around some of these subjects, that is just what is needed now to get through a real breakthrough. All right, let me ask you about ESG. I mean, we mentioned it a little bit in in thinking about your assets under management or the, the assets that um, you have in the private bank or, the, or the, the wealth management business. Are you worried that the there is just sort of a bit of a 
bubble going on. And I mean, the demand is seems to be outstripping supply, which always, in general, in economic theory teaches us leads to distortions. What is your sense of, of that? Yeah, there is a lot of demand, as you said. And, and also, as I indicated uh, earlier on, 90% of our wealthy clients really want to invest in alignment with their values. And therefore, more and more money is going to go after opportunities that one way or the other reflect an improvement on one of the 17 SDGs. It's just what it is. But that is a good movement. So let's not stop that good movement by saying, well, some of this does not comply with with our standards as we see them today. And and this is this, that's a little bit the issue, right? So you have the issue that when we all started is like five, ten years ago, standards and expectations were different from where the market and the regulatory standards to the extent we have them, are today. So not using the opportunity uh, of this this massive demand would be wrong. But using it in a way that truly reflects the underlying investment and what it does, you know, and, and make sure that there is no greenwashing happening, but that the product covers what it does, uh, the opportunity clearly, transparently displays what it's really after, I think that's important going forward to uh, make sure that the demand that is there also gets to the right places. That, that, that's certainly important. Now, and then, as you said, you know, if the demand is like 10 times higher than <laughs> the opportunity, then you get some inflation, right? You get some uh, dislocation of markets. And some of that may be happening, uh, honestly. We'll have to be very careful there. Again, the only way to be careful there is that you don't overpromise on what some of these underlying projects or funds can generate. You have to be very transparent as to what they truly do as well and what the impact truly is. But other than that, you know, it just shows that <laughs> that the mindset of the markets is such that they really want to get this one going. Uh, because the market at the same time is not necessarily only looking for better returns, right, on this one. The market really means well. The market really wants to take responsibility here as well. And that's that's what needs to be done. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's always better that there is more demand than that there is not enough demand. But we have to be careful that, you know, the, the opportunities that present themselves are truly opportunities in the right direction. Are you shifting a bit your risk management to make sure that, you know, and, and I think back to, no, you know, yeah. banks, you know, you're always, risk comes from different different sources. No, but you're right. You're right. And, and, and clearly we have to be even more careful making sure that what is represented by the opportunity is truly what the underlying impact is or the underlying change will bring. Uh, and we are even more cautious around that. Absolutely. Having said that, UBS has a very long history already in in sustainable finance and sustainable investing, and so we know how it works. Um, and, and so, and we have to be very uh, uh, diligent as to how we represent uh, these opportunities. Now, going back a little bit to to the question we talked about your balance sheet. What about the investment bank? And so, a client comes and says, "Oh, I need to raise some money," and and they may be, I don't know, let's say it's a Glencore. Let's say it's a commodities business that does that does, has coal. Let's say it's a oil. I mean, that's a little different, or right? Because you could say, well, we're just helping them 
through the capital markets. We're not actually exposed in the sense of our balance sheet. Is there a different approach in investment banking, or, or are you trying to create the same message throughout the ranks? We are absolutely consistent around our message, absolutely. But the way you translate it into the different activities is different. For example, in, in, in Switzerland, we really want to develop a, a much more prominent market around green mortgages. We want to be much more prominent in terms of the opportunity for retrofitting housing to be much more insulated and therefore having a, a lower footprint. In the investment bank, if you look at some of the stuff that we're doing, for example, in financing soft commodities, it's very important that these opportunities comply with the equator principles, some of our own environmental risk standards as well. And for example, if it is, is about palm oil financing, uh, we make sure that the players that we back or support, subscribe and are member to, for example, the roundtable for palm oil financing, because that's where we have agreed standards along which we currently believe it is better to do that business than how it was done before. And you have the same in, for example, the soya trade uh, business. If the potential client does not comply with those standards, and then either you have a discussion as to how quickly they can, or you don't do the, the business. But it's engagement there, again, that is truly important, and it's the, the agreement to common standards, like the roundtable for palm oil uh, producers, that gives the standard for everybody then to come up to and adhere to. That's important. So that's what we do in the investment bank. And the asset manager, in terms of how we go about investing in companies, it is very clear that we want these companies to have a very very specific policy around ESG and that we also vote to support the clear policies and the clear governance and sometimes withhold our vote or, or vote against, right? Uh, last year we voted 88% uh, in favor, which basically means 12% of the cases we did not vote in favor or we even voted against. Right. Uh, so that's how you kind of translate some of our own policies around ESG into daily practice, uh, whether it is the local business in Switzerland, for example, or the investment banking business, or the asset management business. Where are regulators on this? Are they, when I think about the ECB or the Fed, are they helping or hindering your ability to greenify the world, as it were? I would like to think they are helping you would like to think is different than saying no, they are helping. No, it is just that all of us are playing, uh, all of us are, are looking at what is our role to play here, right? So regulators are very clear as to what they expect from a bank. And, and the first step, uh, the, 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 first, the first perspective they take is, are there any risks on the balance sheet? Yeah, so that, that's, that's generally their approach. So you do quite some climate stress testing. But that is not necessarily disaligned with what you want to do anyway because generally the trend in for example fighting climate change uh, and some of the risks that you may have in your balance sheet in terms of stranded assets in it if you if you have high carbon industries on your balance sheet hey that stress test will actually get you to do the same with your client, which is engage with your client and see whether they have a credible transition to a much lower carbon footprint. So they right? come, so along, right, so they come so along and say... But they come from a different perspective. We right. come from our purpose and say, well, guys, we really want to connect people for a better world. We find it important that we see a plan that you transition to the lowest 
carbon footprint possible, applying new technology for which we could even finance you or generate finance for you, etc., etc., etc. Regulators, at least the, the, the prudent, uh, how do you call it? Yeah, the, 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 yeah exactly. The, 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 the macroprudential uh, regulatory exactly. structure. They yeah. they are after, you know, where the risk in the balance sheet, where the risk in the markets, etc., etc., etc. But again, you know, it comes to the same point. And I think that's why if the pressure comes from different perspectives, but all goes to a further improvement, I think it's their alliance, which is good. Is the, is, when you talk about uh, scope one, two, three, I know it gets yeah. a, I mean, I think about, in a sense, the balance sheet is a scope three, like who do Absolutely. you lend to? Absolutely. But then when Our you, assets are under management as well. Right, structure. right, but then yeah. you get to the next level. You and, yeah. Let's say you, and you, uh, you help a company that does mining or does steel or does iron ore. Let's say iron ore. Like iron ore is, is a primary uh, ingredient for steel. Yep. We, nobody quite knows how you... Yeah decarbonize that. I mean, yeah. there's theories on how you do it with hydrogen and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. But I mean, are are you having to look 5, 10, 15 years out on your balance sheet? I mean, what is the horizon that you Yeah, so we're, we're not, very, we as UBS are not very big in this. So for us, this is not a big uh, Not a big Not point. that many steel foundries uh, exactly, in Switzerland. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but how you would normally do it is you would uh, have scientific-based uh, uh, scenarios uh, as to how you think these industries develop in terms of their footprint. And then you engage with your clients to change their business and make the investments alike in order to comply with a scenario that you uh, find uh, acceptable based on, again, you know, this should all be scientifically based. And there is quite some institutions that can support you on that, whether yeah. it is, is the steel industry, the automotive industry, the cement industry, uh, whether it is real estate, uh, whether it's commercial, commercial real estate, whether it's oil and gas or utilities. Per industry, they have scenarios and trajectories according to which they believe these industries can develop by changing the way they work, by getting a better grip on their own supply chain, by invest, investing in, in, in innovative technology. Uh, and, and that's where we come in in terms of the financing of that, for example. Um, uh, but that's, that's how you can manage that. And that's how you can yeah. also pledge that. And how about your investors? I mean, UBS shareholders, have they been as, um, as forward-looking and supportive of these initiatives as you guys, UBS, have been as investors? Actually, they, they are. And uh, I think they have been uh, really expecting us as well to step up, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, ESG has been very important to UBS all along. But also our investors want to be want us to be more concrete as to some of the commitments that we deliver. They want us to be more concrete as to, for example, the KPIs I have as a CEO in terms of ESG and, and how that finds its uh, way in, uh, in, uh, in UBS. So whether this is on the environmental side and how we deal with our own scope one, scope two uh, footprint, whether this is about you know, how, we, how we organize ourselves uh, governance-wise, whether this is about equal opportunity and diversity, all of the above they find important and all of those issues are discussed literally with our shareholders on a regular basis. How we can improve on governance, how we can improve on reporting, on transparency, 
on setting ambitious KPIs for me as a CEO. And with that, they know I'm only I'm, I'm the top of the pyramid. So if I have the KPIs, it will happen. So it's so yes, active discussions, active engagements. Well, look, great to see you, Ralph. This is we're actually doing this in person, which is uh, extraordinary. Maybe see you in Glasgow. It sounds like looking forward to that, Rob. That's our show for the week. Stay tuned next week for another edition of the Exchange Road to Cop series. Thanks to our producer, Katrina Hamlin in Hong Kong, and to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to the Exchange and our sister podcast, Abuse Room, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Auf Wiedersehen.